previously on the Enneagram Journey. Joining us on the ticket hotline is the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys to discuss his team. We say good morning to Jason Garrett. Hi, Coach. Hey, good morning, guys. How we doing? <laughs> We're doing well. Doing well. <laughs> well, your team didn't do so well on Sunday. I know that's uh, that's concerning, isn't it? Well, we lost the game, but you have to understand that this is a process. It's a process yes. that we go through. We're in the process of going 6-10 and 10 this year. Okay, <laughs> so you've got to be patient. Processes take time. And I know sometimes people are like, I don't want to be made to go to counseling, but being made to go to counseling was what made me aware of all of the hurt and all of the trauma that I had faced. And then being around, so in the group home, I lived with nine other young women. And it was like seeing them made me realize that hurt people hurt people. We hear that all the time but healed people heal people and this was an opportunity for me to start my healing process so that I could be an active proactive healer I would guess you haven't been exposed to bohemian society major well I I, I play cards to occasion you're a stranger to cocaine and exotic dancing too I would imagine I, I find the more obvious vices the easiest to resist. It's the sneaky little obscure ones that bring you to your knees, yeah? So, what business is so urgent it trumps lunch? The business of the Anagram Journey podcast. My name is Joel, and today's guest is Anagram 2, Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Holly hopped on 35 and drove over to the Micah Center to sit down with Suzanne to talk all about that two life. People often ask me, why don't we have more twos on the podcast? I'm always like, hey, we have a two on every single podcast. Uh, her name's Suzanne. But I get what you mean. So this episode and our next one, you're going to hear from a couple more twos. Today, they're going to talk about process, pride, and burnout. And you'll hear about Holly's new book, The Soul of the Helper. Before we dive headfirst into an hour of two-ness, let me tell you that Suzanne will be in Charlotte, North Carolina and Kansas City, Missouri before you know it, teaching around her latest book, The Journey Toward Wholeness, and recording a live podcast with you, the listeners, in the house. Get your tickets today at lifeinthetrinityministry.com slash tour22. The Anagram Journey podcast is produced by Life in the Trinity Ministry. The podcast is made possible by the support and contributions of individuals, groups, and institutions also believe in a community encouraging self-knowledge, fostering spiritual maturity, and the values of Micah 6-8. You can support LTM and the Anagram Journey podcast by donating at the link in the show notes or at theanagramjourney.com and lifeinthetrinityministry.com. And now, friends, let's get down to business and listen to Suzanne and Holly. First of all, thank thank you for driving from Waco. That's not just next door. No, that's, I appreciate that. It's also 35, so it's not next door, and it's not just an easy straight shot. Yeah, no, it was, it was okay. The solitude was a good, it was a good gift for today. Yeah, that's, that was a welcome gift. Yeah. And not to be confused when uh, Craig Nash was kind of making a reintroduction, Uh (laughs) uh, Holly Rocca. He, what, what? He he included her on the email. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was like, Uh I'd like you to meet. Holly Oxhandler, and then he cc'd the wrong Holly. cc'd the wrong Holly. Yeah, <laughs> and I think kind of around that time we had Holly uh, here to talk mm-hmm. about being a two for for Tuesday. That's oh, right. It was the whole yeah. the twenty two right. yeah, two 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 yeah, Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. but now we've got. I don't want to say the right Holly because I feel like it's taking <laughs> a shot at <laughs> another Holly. We have the right Holly for today. Okay, today. Uh, so if you want to kind of introduce yourself to the listeners and. We'll let you all go from there. Yeah, sure. Well, thank you both so much for having me here. I really do appreciate it. It's an honor. Um, My name is Dr. Holly Oxhandler. I'm the Associate Dean for Research and Faculty Development at Baylor's Diana R. Garland School of Social Work. Um, I study the intersection of um, spirituality and mental health. And I co-host a a podcast called CXMH, which is on faith and mental health. Um, And I just wrote a book that recently came out called The Soul of the Helper, uh, Seven Stages to Seeing the Sacred Within Yourself So You Can See It in Others. So, and I'm 
Uh, if folks couldn't pick up, I most identify with type two. So <laughs> if that wasn't obvious in the title, but yeah, it's, it, it's fairly obvious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it almost looks the, on the cover. If I just look at it, uh-huh. I can see underneath the title Enneagram two. Yeah, because <laughs> the whole title. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And you're married and you have two little kids. I do. Yes. Yes. My husband is Corey and um, he most identifies with type nine. And we have two little ones, Callie and Oliver, who are um, nine and six. So they keep us pretty busy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. For sure. Those are good ages, though, too. Yeah, it is. This is a fun fun age, especially now that we're able to do a little bit more, I think, and get out a little mm-hmm. bit more. It's mm-hmm. been good. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Hard ages to be home with. Yes. During a pandemic. Yes. Good ages to be out in the world. Yes. With. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah. What, what were those ages again? Six and nine. Six and nine. Yeah. Jamin out there is nine. So. Oh, okay. That's yeah. awesome. So. It's a fun age. <laughs> yeah. It's an age. It's... <laughs> Joe and I have nine grandchildren, and we oh were away gosh. on vacation for a few uh-huh. days. And we started trying to remember the ages. We're sitting by the pool thinking about our family, and we we're trying to think of the ages and the grades that all nine grandchildren uh-huh. are in. Uh-huh. We just, like, we just couldn't do it. You're like between. And then we made up that it was because during COVID things got messy uh-huh. and everybody was at home and they weren't, but that's not it. We just couldn't do it. Mm. So finally, Joe just texted Joel and said, we need help. <laughs> I felt really good. I started just whipping out everyone's yes. birthday. Yeah, that's awesome. Year. So I was on a roll. Yeah. You got that's them all. Awesome. It was good. Mm, I love it. Got a copy of the book, but uh, then I, uh, one of the emails came that had a link uh-huh. to check out the book from yeah. Templeton Press. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if this, this is where I would love to hear y'all start talking about Tunis. Sure. But I'm just going to read this little paragraph here of uh, for the book. Caretakers of all kinds frequently exhaust themselves in the service of others. This book gives them permission to stop, reconnect with the stillness in their souls, and renew their capacity to help others by helping themselves. And so in that one little paragraph, it says help, I think, like 10 times, and (laughs) caretakers, just a lot of two stuff. Mm. And it got me thinking about the, um, you call it the passion. Mm -hmm. We're kind of staying away from the word sin, but the passion of twos is pride. And for me, the passion for sevens, uh-huh. it's real obvious. It's gluttony, and it, mm. it, it's obvious. It's easy and obvious. Pride isn't like that. And are you? Yeah. do you ever watch um, Peaky Blinders by any chance? I don't. Okay, fantastic don't. show. Okay, good to know. But uh, it got me thinking about something that Winston Churchill says in the, in the show. Uh, this guy walks in on him, and he's painting a a nude model or something. And he like averts his eyes and he says to him, uh, to Winston Churchill, he's like, I find the, I find the obvious vices the easiest to resist. And Churchill replies with, it's the sneaky little obscure ones that bring you to your knees. Mm. And I feel like that's the difference Ooh. between pride in Enneagram talk and gluttony. Yep. That one is pretty obvious. And then the other one's that sneaky little obscure one. That's right. Mm. So I'd love to hear y'all talk some about, what pride means for twos and yeah yeah keep it under an hour okay <laughs> all right well let me just start by using the definition from Rizzo and Hudson that sure. I use most of the time yeah which is the inability or unwillingness to acknowledge one's own needs and suffering mm-hmm. while tending to the needs of someone else mm-hmm. so it makes me a little nauseous just to say it actually I know and feel it it's fascinating yeah. to me that it does sneak up because yeah. I've said this for a long time, and then you're the doctor, so you start talking. <laughs> One of the things I've said for a long time is that when I am really in average or unhealthy tuness, it feels so Christ-like. Mm. It's so easy for me to say this is for sure what Jesus would do, mm. for sure. And then I'm, you know, then I just keep doing it. And the other yeah. thing is. It so lends itself. Mm-hmm. Our gifts, mm-hmm. our gifts, you, you know, the best part of you is the worst part of you, but mm-hmm. our gifts is twos. So lend themselves to codependency. Mm-hmm. And so we are a number. I don't know, Joel, how you feel when you're st- struggling with or embracing gluttony, but when we're embracing 
the unhealthy side of our number. Mm-hmm. It feels so lovely, mm-hmm. and other people mm-hmm. like it so much. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. that's not how I feel. That's not my <laughs> relationship with gluttony. <laughs> Yeah. I've never asked you that question. Yeah. I thought, well, what? perhaps Joel feels the same way. I'm uh, so pretty sure that other people don't love it when I'm in it. And, um, <laughs> you know, it feels nice for about two seconds. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Well, <laughs> it's yeah. not. I think the difference, though, is that with for us in that two space is that what we're doing is affirmed over and mm-hmm. over by those around us, by our loved ones, by society, especially as women. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's that, you know, and, and within the Christian community, there's that, yes, keep going. This is good. Keep doing it. Um, but the reality is, is that deep within us, there's a part of us that is just, as you mentioned, like we're burning out. We mm-hmm. are bumping up against those limitations and we don't recognize them because we're so oriented to what other people around us are wanting from us mm-hmm. and needing from us. Um, and so I think that that affirmation is addictive in a lot of ways yep. for twos um, and those accolades and that keep going, keep giving. Whereas, and, and, and there's also the part of it that's, it's quiet and it's within us and only we can really discern what that point of, you know, at what point of it is, is it pride versus that giving unconditionally, right? And the giving, giving, giving for those, uh, for those accolades versus the unconditional love. Um, and I would imagine that maybe for some of the other numbers, it's pretty obvious when you're engaging, like it's mm-hmm. more outward, right? right? Right. And it's, um, yeah, and other people are able to say, no, don't keep doing that. Whereas when we give in the ways that we do as twos, people are like, no, keep going. That is, that's helpful for me. Yeah. And the world. Yeah, and it's the world. It's so good for everybody. That's right. For that's you right. to be unhealthy. Yes, that's right. Until it's not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I, yeah. I, I think, I, no, that's not true. I know mm. that what we want is to be loved, that's but we right. settle for yeah. affirmation. That's right. Or accolades or... Yep, yep, mm-hmm. yep. You yep. settle for uh, appreciation. Yes. I so appreciate you. I've gotten where I don't even like that word. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like, don't appreciate me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Please, don't. Because right. it hooks me. Right, that's right. Yeah, it's like... Yep. I had a dream one time that there were all those, you know, those great big industrial hooks. Uh-huh. And I, I've been going through some old journals looking for some uh, old work on shame and fear and anger. And mm. I, I had a... A recorded a dream there where there were those big industrial hooks hanging from the ceiling uh-huh. and they all had lovely things to say to me mm. about me mm-hmm. and I thought that's it that mm-hmm. I'd forgotten the dream I hope I don't ever forget it again because mm. it's like that's a hook and that's a hook it's bait yeah, yeah. it is yeah. and I I I want us to if you're comfortable yeah for uh, sure. I, you don't have to answer this question <laughs> but the question is how old are you uh-huh I'm 36 I okay. just turned 37. And I'm 71. Hmm. And if one of the many good things that could come out of our conversation is that more people your age hmm. can learn not to make so many of the mistakes that I continue to make at my age, hmm. then we will have spent an hour doing something really good that may not be appreciated, but that will <laughs> but be helpful. Okay. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. right. That's good. I appreciate, well, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's fascinating, isn't it? I How so easy it is. How dare you say the word appreciate in front of me? <laughs> Here we go. No, no, I think, I think that's, that's wise. Um, and I will say too, I know that this is lifelong work. So, you know, even as I disclosed my age, I know, and I know we talked about right before hitting record, I will be returning to these messages and lessons throughout the course of my life. This is lifelong work. This is not, it's done and it's easy the rest of the way. I fully anticipate it's going to be lifelong work. Yeah. And it's interesting how it sneaks up on us, I think. Yeah. Um, So I want to talk for a minute and then we'll return to it later if Mm -hmm. we have time about the last 24 hours of my life. Mm. Last night, I'm on the uh, board of directors for the Turtle Creek Corral, which is a the second largest gay men's chorus in the country. And they have had a piece commissioned uh, about the horrific event in Tulsa mm. and um, the destruction of what was referred to as Black Wall Street. 
a hundred years ago. Mm. And so last night I was in a, I went to meet with city leaders who were there to hear part of the singing that's going to be performed in the next couple of weeks Mm. so that we could involve people throughout the city and how we can move forward with this conversation that seems so important. Mm -hmm. And then it got longer and longer and there were more and more people to meet. And then Mm. we hadn't had dinner and then we couldn't find a restaurant that was open at 930. And then we finally ate at 1015 uh, with our friend here in LTM, Andy, who's also very involved. And it all felt so good and right and important and like I had the gifts for it. Yeah. And yeah, I still have to ask yeah. over and over and over, is this mine to do? Yeah, yeah. So I have three invitations to do things as a result of that last night. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure two of them are not mine to do, mm-hmm. only because I had some discernment time today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so my question for you, and with that as the backdrop, and I'm sure you can relate to it, I'm sure you have a hundred mm-hmm. stories of your own that are just like it. Mm-hmm. How do you discern with all the affirmation and all of the potential and the gifts that you have. Like, yeah. I can, I don't, I'm not good with credentials. I'm sorry. Oh, no. So I don't know if you're the, Fine. are you the associate? What is your position <laughs> in the social work school yeah. at Baylor University? Yeah. So specific to that is I am the associate dean for research, which go. means like I'm right uh, right underneath John Singletary, right. focusing on the research that's happening within our school. Okay. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I want us to, to look at the fact mm-hmm. that you're working with social workers. Yeah. And twos make such good social workers. <laughs> don't There's we? A lot. There's a lot of us. Yes. 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 And nurses. And yes. Yes. Hel- and teachers. Teach- all yep. the mm-hmm. helping fields yep. are full of us. Yes. Yes. And s- and so the question I'm trying to do all this to lead up yeah, to no, is, what does discernment look like for you yeah. in terms of all the hooks that hang from the ceiling are all the opportunities you have to be appreciated yeah. or the question you know maybe don't know that, that I use, which is, yeah. what is mine to do? Yeah. Gosh, that's such a good question. I would say first, I have scribbled in... Uh, my copy of your first book, that exact question that you signed, and that stuck with me early on, even before writing this book. That was that question is an important filter question for twos to be thinking through is this mine to do, or what is mine to do in this situation? The discernment process for me looks like including that question, um, but it involves a lot of time spent in solitude, Um, not to the point where like my kids don't get time with me or my partner doesn't get time with me, um, but I do need to spend 20 minutes a day in centering prayer and, um, and I do need to be practicing a number of different spiritual practices throughout the week and even um, once or twice a year, like going on retreat because that solitude is critical for me to stay in touch with that inner voice that does guide me in deciding what is mine to do and what is not mine to do. And there are some things that have been easier over the years for me to say uh, no to, but there are certainly some very big things that I can think of that took a lot of time and wrestling with to decide, you know, is this mine to do or not? And that's hard for twos because we're still we still have lots of opportunities that are given to us throughout the day where we're still trying to discern something maybe put on our plate a week ago. Um, and so that process, it is intentional, uh, but it does require quite a bit of solitude and silence and stillness for me to reconnect with that inner spark within me that guides me in deciding what is mine to do? How much capacity do I really have to to um, offer to some of these opportunities and how do I take good care of myself throughout the process so that I don't habitually say yes to everything that comes across my way and then later in that place of exhaustion mm-hmm. and burnout then I have to like let it all go because I can't I can't I'm at that point where I can't give anymore so it's intentional and thoughtful mm-hmm. and careful yeah. one of the things I wonder about other numbers as compared to our number is do they have to uh, stop 
over and mm. over and over and reevaluate how did I get here? Mm. Or does burnout occur for other numbers once? Mm. And then they create new <laughs> patterns for their lives and they don't do that again. Yeah. You know, everywhere that I read about burnout, it's yeah. a, it's a, a one-time life event. Mm. Not for me. Yeah. I, I was going to say not for me either. No. No. Mm-mm. Not no. for me. No, and I I don't know. I think that other numbers, I think that they can experience burnout too frequently. I think that they're, you know, we talk a lot about like how threes have that one big event yep. of failure, right? Yep. Um, and, you know, maybe for other numbers, there's like that one big one. And, and even for twos, there may be one big one. But I do think that when we're operating within systems that push us to keep going beyond our capacity, I think we're all at risk of burnout um, yeah. in multiple ways throughout our lives. And it in just a culture, different. Well, yeah. and a culture that doesn't invite us to do. Yeah, that's right. To heal. No, right. no, no. Or right. to think or to right. discern right. or to, yeah, it's like, could you do this? I need to know by four. Yeah. Could you like, I can't tell you by four. Right. Or I just say, oh, this is such a great opportunity Sure, with no discernment, right? Yeah, That's right, where, right, 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 right. Yeah. One of the things I want to make sure that people know about your book, the title is um, mm. "To by Nature," I yes. guess. Yes, yes. But in talking about the soul of a helper, uh-huh. I don't want anybody to think that it is for twos. That's right. It is. Thank you for helpers. That's right. Which can be every number. That's right. I wonder though. If it could be written as thoroughly mm. by an aggressive number <laughs> or by a withdrawing number, mm. right? I wonder if it takes a dependent number mm-hmm. to explore mm-hmm. what we get ourselves into. You know, when Joel doesn't want to do something, yeah. if, if it's not, like if it's personal, if it's not work-related, he says, no. <laughs> And I like that. That's an option, yeah. (laughs) It feels like a very tiny option. So it's a default option for me. Like that's the saying yes is the. Yeah. And that's, it is kind of awesome. Yeah. It has its downside too, of course. Right, right, for sure. Yeah. So the thing that will, I think, stay with me Mm. about the research and the work that you've done Mm. is that you turned it into something I don't like, oh. which is process. Mm. People don't like process, Holly. Yeah. 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 And I, wor- I walked through the numbers this morning on my way here to think of what number likes process. Mm. Well, aggressive numbers don't because mm-hmm. they're waiting on you. You know, it's like, ah, I already made up my mind. Mm-hmm. One's like process. But it's to keep themselves from making a mistake. So it's it's yeah. not really a lovely motivation. Right, right, right. They like process to protect themselves from the yeah. voices. Yeah. The Four. dependent stance likes process. Yeah. And six likes process. Yeah. And yeah. I bet fours. Not so much. Not so much. No. Nines. No. Not so much. Fives. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. us. Yeah, it it's is us. the dependent yes. stance. That's right. Yeah. And I think the reason we don't like it is because it it feels from the get-go mm. like if we give ourselves to the process, we're going to miss something. Mm. And the answer to that fear is, yes, you are. Mm. You are going to miss something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This it happens to be seven words and seven chapters and mm-hmm. seven years minimum of be- work to before do. Before you jump Aww. to that, I'm so sorry. That's okay. Since, since we can edit. And so. <laughs> yep. I don't know how many people out there are Dallas Cowboy fans, but one of the things we had the same coach, head coach for 10 years, Jason Garrett. And for 10 years, he talked about process. That's all it was. They didn't, they never won. I mean, they had okay years, Uh but you know, there's no Super Bowls that he collected. But every year he came back, process. It's all about process, process, Mm. process, process. I don't care what his uh, Enneagram number is, but now I'm like, I bet it's a one, two, or six based on that. <laughs> That's right. Just over That'll be part of the introduction is uh, fake Jason Garrett from The Ticket. That's funny. On the intro <laughs> to this podcast. So. That's funny. 
process. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what number he is either. And I generally try not mm. to guess, but I'm, I, he did also go to the church where Joe was on staff mm. and I think he's probably a two, but oh, that's interesting. W- well, it's not a great career for twos well, actually, yeah. but that's interesting. Yeah. That's our sports comment for the day. Oh, he's, <laughs> he's lost a couple of jobs since then, but he keeps getting hired. Now he's with, uh, for everybody who's keeping up with Jason Garrett. Now he's, uh, in the booth, I think for Fox on Sundays, calling oh, you know as an analyst. Him. Yeah, yeah. Glad, glad he landed on his feet. Yeah, so yeah, and That's the thing there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what we'll never know is the relationships that are behind him landing on his feet. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. another question I would have for sure. you is, um, sorry, just want got to jump in on what you just said there. Okay. Yeah. That's the only way you keep a job for ten years and not be a winner. That's right. Mm. That's right. Mm. And I never thought about that. Relationships. Relationships. Yeah. Which we're really good at. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we are. Keep us believing that we're making good choices. Mm. Even when we're not. What do you think about that? Um, yes. So I, I agree with that. I do think that the relationships help us feel like we're making good choices, even if we're not. But I would question the quality of those relationships if the people are enabling us to continue to move on a path towards burnout. So I think that the relationships can feel productive for us, like we're we're doing something. But I really would think through the quality of those relationships if those individuals within our lives are not, um, like they don't have to be rude about it, but they can be like, I think you should take a day off and just rest and Mm -hmm. let me you know jump in and do some of these things or help you with some of these things so that um you get a break so so I would just think through the quality of those relationships I agree 100 percent and I wonder if other twos have the capacity to win conversations with people who have our best interest at heart mm. by supporting all the reasons why thank you so much for loving me and caring about me and do you understand this is why I really need to do this yeah right yeah yeah the the ability that I have to sway conversations to support something that is not mine to do that's right yeah. is astonishing yeah 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 and it's like it just comes like second nature yeah yeah mm-hmm Yep, to sway the conversation, to take the focus off of me, to keep the focus on somebody else or what, I mean, any of that. It's like second nature for us to do. One of the things I've been uh, (laughs) particularly mindful of lately is we have a really good friend who's a nurse at Children's Hospital. And uh, we're together with them a, a good bit as a couple, maybe twice a month or something. And one of the things that comes from that conversation is I'm aware that nurses are burned out and they're not going, yeah. they're leaving their jobs. Yes. Hospital nurses in particular. Yep. Social workers are burned out and they're leaving yep. their jobs. Teachers. Teachers. Yep. All, all the people that yep. fall under the helper yep. category yep. are saying, no. No more. Yeah. I, no more under those conditions, no more. At a time when... Those are the conditions mm-hmm. because there's limited money everywhere mm-hmm. and because of all the things that have happened. Yeah. It's less glorified, but I don't want the uh, serving community to be left Absolutely. out. Oh, no. It's, Res- it's yeah. Yes. Absolutely. And- Thank you for that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and ultimately, the serving community are the people who are treated the worst. Yeah. And ha- people have the highest expectations for them with the less least reward like yep, yep. thank you joel i'm i'm trying really hard to be really good mm-hmm. to all of those people as i encounter servers mm-hmm. or those who serve me in any way right if That's they take my right. bag and yep. put it on the thing yep. i'm trying really hard to be yeah. nice to kind grateful yeah. Yeah. to everybody yeah it's interesting how so many of those people now don't expect you to see them anymore mm. Last night at this event, they were trying to connect in another city to the person who composed all this music because mm-hmm. he couldn't be here. Mm-hmm. And then they're recording, and they have a documentarian who is doing a documentary, and she's mm-hmm. filming, and she has helpers who are filming. 
And there's one person in the room who is a member of the corral Mm -hmm. whose responsible it is to keep all that technology going. Mm. And he walked around the whole night going from place to place and trying to make things work and doing all the stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure nobody gave that a second thought. There was talent everywhere and, you know, Mm -hmm. different talent than that. Mm -hmm. And I just went up to him afterwards and I took his hands and I said, thank you so much for what you do. And he looked at me like, this is the most foreign experience I've ever had. Yeah, yeah ever had. Yeah. I think paying attention, we do. I mean, that is what I feel like so much of this book is inviting us to be paying attention to recognizing the image of God within everyone around us. What, regardless of, you know, qualifications or backgrounds or their journeys or who they are, um, the ways in which they are loving and serving others in such a diverse you know, array of different ways, um, that they are serving, whether it's with technology or whether it's, um, you know, in the service industry or whether it's the nurses or the teachers or, or whatever, the parents, the, um, faith leaders, I mean, on and on and on. I mean, this is our invitation to wake up to the image of God, not only within ourselves, but within those around us and to really see and appreciate the ways in which others are, caring for and loving and serving us. But I think what's so difficult is, and some of the, this is some of the hardest work that I feel like I have had to navigate um, throughout this journey. And it goes through and kind of shatters through that pride work is recognizing the image of God within myself, because that is the only way truthfully that I really think we're able to fully see that within those around us, including those folks who are helping us in those day-to-day activities. So it crushes me that that individual, like that they were felt like that was a foreign experience for you to, you know, see them fully see them and appreciate them and recognize them. Um, and I don't say appreciate in like the, you know, the quick flattery, but but like deeply, you know, honor. It's all about awareness. That's exactly what what it took for everybody in this room for this to happen. Yes. You and I can't do this if Joel's not here. Right. that's right. 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 Joel can't do this if the kids aren't willing to give him the space yes. to do this. That's right. Because today is his day with kids. It's That's like right. yeah. there are so many layers that so go many. into anything yes. that happens. Yep. And they go too often unnoticed. That's right. Yeah. And unaware, yep. which then leads me to talk about expectations. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. What a mess. I know. You have so much work to do. <sighs> yeah. Expectations. In the recovery community, the language mm-hmm. that's used is every expectation is resentment waiting to happen. Mm. I don't think expectations falls heavier on any one of the nine numbers. Mm-hmm. All of us have expectations for ourselves and for others yeah. that are uniquely different because of the number yeah, that we are. Right, I right. I want to talk a bit about the process that you have uh, created and unpacked in the book. I'm going to read these seven words. Sure. <laughs> so I want to start with that you say there are seven stages of seeking the sacred. And I want to give you a minute to talk about, not, I don't mean a minute, minute. No, I know, I hear you. To talk about the reality of your understanding that healing requires some kind of faith in something bigger than you are. Mm. I'm a big believer that mm-hmm. you, you can't do this without that. Right. I hear you. Yeah. And yeah. so you want to talk at all about how your life experience or your faith experience impacts how you are connecting the sacred and the secular without talking about mm. the secular as such. Uh-huh. So the overarching work seems to be that it's all sacred, which is, of course, how mm-hmm. I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So do you want to talk about any of that yeah. leading into? Okay. Yeah, just like a brief yeah. like background you just, piece. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So um, so I, I write uh, a little bit about my, my personal background um, was I had grown up in upstate New York and I grew up within a Catholic tradition. Um, and I really, I really loved 
so many layers of my experience within my faith journey growing up. Um, but around the age of 10, I started that deconstruction process because of uh, my parents were going through a divorce and I had experienced layers of um, trauma and abuse and rejection as a kid. And I really wrestled with wondering, um, you know, a lot of those existential questions around like, why is God letting this happen? Mm -hmm. And, you know, why is the, why do the 10 commandments say that I should honor thy mother and thy father, but I'm being actively hurt by one of my parents. So how does that work? And is God going to reject me? Um, so personally I have this layered background, Mm -hmm. um, that I have had to heal and navigate and walk through, um, especially in my transition of being a mom and like, you know, kind of navigating that. So, um, but alongside that I had, I was exposed to therapy when I was younger, which I'm so thankful that my mom, uh, had introduced me to that. And in light of that, I really thought that that would be the direction I would go into, that I would Mm be a mental health care provider, um, growing up. But my therapist gave space for that intersection of faith and mental health without pushing a particular faith Mm -hmm. tradition, but just holding space for it. And so, you know, that, that all kind of led me into some of the research that I've done, some of that background work. Um, and now, yeah. Well, I think you said his name was Peter. Peter. Is that right? Yes. Yes. And the thing that interested me most about that part of Mm -hmm. your journey as a two. Yeah. Is that you also did what? he's a two, by the way. Well, that doesn't surprise me. (laughs) But the other thing you did that that we're good at. Mm-hmm. So while we're talking about all the places we mess up, let's talk a minute about okay. the stuff we're good at. I'm okay with that. <laughs> you were very careful to tip your hat mm-hmm. to the gift that you received from the other therapists and spiritual yeah. people yes. yeah. who were in your life. And That's right. what twos are often doing mm-hmm. that is a uh, tribute to us, I think, is that we're gathering up all of the people who made the story happen. Oh my gosh, yes, yes. Right. Yes. Yes. The gratitude section is longer than the (laughs) any of the chapters. Yes. And I think it's a good thing when we are able to see that bigger picture, Mm -hmm. because we're so often zeroed in on one Mm -hmm. person or three or five. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think twos need to lean into asking the question at the end of the day. Okay, that was. Oh, Joel, I never get micro and macro right. He's told me this a thousand times. Oh, micro times. is is one-on-one, macro is yeah. large. Okay, yeah. well, I think we do a lot of micro work yes. as uh-huh. twos uh-huh. with macro awareness uh-huh. as twos. Uh-huh. And I think that's a gift that we should cultivate. Mm, I love that. I think that's beautiful. I think yeah. it's hopeful. Yeah, I think so too. Because we're suited for it. Yeah. Yes, yes, those are one of the gifts that. So, we if we're going to talk table. about how suited yeah. we are for being codependent, <laughs> pull out something else from somewhere that's also, and that's a great thing, uh-huh. right? Mm. That we can do. It came out recently the conversation with Teresa and Scott McBean. Mm. And I do love that it's almost a great partnership as far as two and six mm. because Teresa talked about looking at the macro. And dealing with the macro and you talked about dealing with the micro and it seems like when those two can work side by side, that's a great match. Yeah, that's good. It is because we are each, uh, we each have the propensity to be focused only on what comes naturally, Mm -hmm. which leads to for us as twos, the problems of exhaustion and burnout and resentment. And yes. anger, yes, and yes. all of that stuff. Yes. yes, I want to talk mm-hmm. about the process. Okay, so here are the seven words. Yes, I don't like any of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so sorry. Well, the, the last one's my favorite. Okay, but, well, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Mm. All right. So, uh, speed, mm-hmm. slow, steady, still, see, shift serve maybe the most vulnerable feelings I have that are not overtly threatening in some way have to do with stopping yeah I don't feel like I'm addicted to 
speed so much because when I have downtime, I take it. But I am definitely addicted to serving, Mm -hmm. which manifests itself in speed. Right. That's, yeah. That's what happens. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Speed, it doesn't have to necessarily just mean moving fast. It's just constantly moving. moving. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that I'm mindful of in these seven opportunities that I would be tempted in average or unhealthy space to work through the speed and slow and then just skip to serve. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that happens to dependent numbers is that we are willing to pause but not stop, and we are willing to discern but not necessarily give ourselves to some kind of collective discernment, Mm. and that we get so uncomfortable when we're not doing with and for someone else. Yeah. So in your work with twos who are in helping professions, Mm -hmm. how would you say we find comfort enough to rest in spaces where what comforts us we're supposed to set aside can you get can you say a little bit more i don't want to but i can (laughs) i can articulate this for you (laughs) (laughs) it's like being allergic to chocolate and only wanting to eat chocolate yep Mm. that's perfect okay So let me give you a thing that happened in the last 48 hours. Okay. I finally talked to Joe about it this morning after my morning sit. I am rebellious in order to have the energy to slow down. And I just Uh, figured out where it's coming from. uh I always have a very full schedule. Mm -hmm. I'm doing better, but I always have a full schedule. I'm hesitant to talk about this because it falls on Joel most of the time. Mm. And he and I haven't talked about it. And I don't know if I ever want to talk to him about it again. So (laughs) (laughs) we'll see what happens. What I've discovered is when I'm stretched, if I have a deadline to be somewhere, Mm -hmm. I rebel against the deadline. It's like this morning, I didn't want to leave my home. It has nothing to do with you. No, it's okay. I don't take any offense. (laughs) Yeah. I I did not want to leave my space. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. And I get rebellious, and then I unknowingly do rebellious things Mm. to push it to the limit. Yeah. But then when I hit the limit, because I don't want to disappoint anybody, I don't want anybody to be unhappy Uh with me or mad at me. Uh When I hit the limit, that energizes me enough Mm -hmm. to make the deadline and the day. Mm -hmm. To just do it. Yeah. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. Uh, I can make it. Yeah. And I can do it. And mm-hmm. frankly, I did make it and I am doing it. But yeah. it comes from a bad it. place inside of me. I hear you. Yeah. And it, I'm tricking myself mm-hmm. rather than be honest with myself about mm-hmm. speed, slow, steady, still, C, shift, serve. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm avoiding the process yeah. by tricking myself. And to put myself in a position of being rebellious so that I'm energized. Now, that's not healthy, but it's honest. And I believe other twos are doing that. Yeah. I mean, well, I will say I'm, I, some of that absolutely resonates with like the pushing until the last minute. Mm -hmm. And I know my colleagues will like, they come to the meetings five minutes late when it's with me because I will push until that last minute and be like, okay. But sometimes it's also because I've filled up a whole bunch of that time before like doing other things. And so I am just, you know, late for things like that. But I think some of it probably has to do with that wrestle of the like, what do I need in this moment? And 
at least for me, I'll say like that wrestle with like, what do I need in this moment? And that can take up so much energy and time that then I'm like, okay, I gotta, I gotta show up to the other things. So, um, what do I need? It's such a hard question. Oh my my gosh. It's so hard. And it takes so much energy and effort that I don't think folks understand how much it takes Mm -mm. from us to, I mean, it seems like such a silly thing, but you know, for aggressive stance folks that I know, they're like, well, this is what I need. Let's go. Like, it's fine. But I know for other twos that I know, it's like, we just spend a lot of time in that feeling and getting stuck in that. What do I need? So in some ways, at least I could say I have experienced, I may spend a lot of time in that space. And then some of that push against kind of kicks in and response to that, that like aggression, but like, I just, I gotta go. I don't know. Okay. What about this? Do you think there's a possibility that we don't answer the what do I need question because we're afraid if we did and then our needs weren't met that we don't have the capacity to handle that? Yeah, absolutely. I do. I do. But I think this is where some of that work, like with these stages, it it is where it invites us to better understand and identify what our needs are and to empower us to actually meet those needs so that we are not looking to other people around us to be able to meet those needs for us. Because that's where we get, at, at least again, for me, I feel like that's where I will get stuck as a two is if I am depending upon other people to meet those needs for me. Some Sometimes I do need to learn to be humble and like, and I, I write about this quite a bit in the sense that like, I have to recognize my limitations and where I do honestly need other people to meet some of those needs. But if I am doing some of that subconscious, like give to get type work that twos can fall into, um, that's, that's where we got to go back to those, you know, the speed stage mm-hmm. to recognize the pace at which we are operating. Um, you yeah. know what I know that you can do because you did it in the book. Oh, well, so thank you. Okay. I know that you can do all seven and just do a uh, little two sentences. Yeah, on each one. Yeah, sure. Yes, do that. Yes, for sure. So, um, so thank you for unpacking all the stages. But the invitation that they offer us, or the journey of seeking the sacred, is waking up to the speed at which we are operating at, um, and getting curious about why and what is causing that. Um, and then we're. I'm sorry to interrupt <laughs> on speed, but man, I love that you said and be curious yes. because yes. we are not. That's what curious we're about things mm-hmm. that affect our mm-hmm. own lives mm-hmm. because we're thinking repressed. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's where we activate that Absolutely. thinking center. Or don't. Yes, or don't. Yeah. that's right. Yeah. Um, and when we don't is when we just yeah. yeah. So okay, so the first, the, as you mentioned, the first stage is speed. Um, waking up to that speed at which we've been operating, and then we're invited to slow down, um, to identify those steadying structures that help us to stay in that slower pace. Because as you mentioned, it is hard for us to slow down or to be still. Um, but we have to identify those steadying structures that really allow us to kind of be at that slower pace for a bit so that we can actually be still, um, which is very, very, very difficult for helpers, um, in part because it's how we're wired, but also, again, those external messages that we pick up that just keep telling us to go and do and help and serve and advocate and heal and on and on. I mean, we have to be still. And it's only in that place of stillness, of really being still, that we can then see the sacred within ourselves to actually wake up to that divine spark, that image of God, as well as the shadows that are within us, mm-hmm. which is hard to see and be with, but we have to hold space for that paradox and complexity. Um, but then once we see, we can't unsee and we're invited to then shift to, um, extend compassion towards ourselves and those around us. I want to talk about shift for a minute because you, uh, if I remember correctly, you intentionally didn't talk about change. You talked about shifting, right? And I'm, very attuned to that kind of language because uh-huh. of the work I do uh-huh. because I I think transformation has to do with shifting yeah not changing yeah, right right yeah right. so I just wanted to to highlight that mm. shift is not changing right it's a different word it's just like I, I mean I hate pivoting because we've used that word so yeah. much yeah. but it is like that three to five percent just shift yeah. just 
learning to look at things a little bit differently. Our perspective changes a bit. It's not completely change, but it is those one moment, one day at a time progress work, basically. Yeah. Okay. I have another thing about shifting to talk with you mm-hmm. about, and that is that I'm not sure that we have ever had so much cultural shift. Mm certainly not in our lifetimes, mm-hmm. as we have right now. Mm-hmm. Do you think it is more difficult to shift within a shift? <laughs> <laughs> like, if everything around you is shifting, does it l- lead to you thinking you're shifting when you're not? Oh, I don't know. I'm not sure. I think, um, I mean, I think it's important to be mindful of the cultural shifting and what's happening, but I think the work that we're invited to do is to pay closer attention to what's happening within us. Um, And so, and to stay closer attuned to that, it's certainly easier and we're we're wired to want to keep looking outside and how things are changing around us. But I, I really do think that work is that shifting work is that compassion toward ourselves um, and towards others. But again, it's that, it's that recognition of our own belovedness that we are loved as we are, mm-hmm. that there is nothing we can do to be loved any more or less in this moment. But, but from that place of recognition of our belovedness, we see it's not just within us, but it's within everyone around mm-hmm. us. And that is that shift. Um, and then from that place that from that shift is where we can then serve, but serve from a place of that belovedness, that abundance, that recognition that we don't have to hustle for our worth, mm-hmm. that we don't have to earn or achieve um, that love from others, that it's already prepackaged within us. And so the ways in which we serve kind of come out of that place of abundance and mm-hmm. that that recognition that we're loved as we are. We're not serving for love. We are serving from that place mm-hmm. of love. Um, yeah. There's yeah. a lot of LTM language in in, in all of that that we use. So Joe, when he teaches contemplative practice, uh-huh. talks about the fact that God is rearranging something inside of you during that mm-hmm. time. Yes. You don't have to... Like, it's not something for you to do. It's something that God's doing. Yes, yes. So that's why a contemplative sit is so important (gasps) for me because of that rearranging. Yes. And then he also says, uses the language that then what we do Mm -hmm. is a place that we're coming from instead of a place that we're going to. Mm -hmm. The tricky thing with two-ness is that you can fool yourself quite easily into thinking that you're coming from Mm -hmm. a place rather than going to a place because we're so often disconnected from our motivation. Mm -hmm. And I am challenged by how we, you and your field Mm -hmm. and me and mine, Mm -hmm. teach people that where you come from will sustain you. Mm-hmm. And where you go to That's right. cannot. That's right. That's exactly right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I don't know that there's an easy way to teach people that. I think that we can do our best to teach it, but I think the most important thing is for us to model it and to lean into what that looks like for us, um, inviting others to figure out what that is going to look like for them and how to best do that um, while advocating, you know, as a social worker, like paying attention to the ways in which we also can advocate that there are are more ways um, that we can support folks to be able to get in touch with that space to be able to serve from Mm -hmm. rather than to. you know, I know, I know that there are a lot of barriers for a, a lot of different resources mm-hmm. and, um, and things like that. And so I want to be sensitive to that, but, but I feel like we have to do that work of modeling it for others and saying, not necessarily, this is the one and only way to do it, but, but I have to do this work for my own healing mm-hmm. so that I can then serve from that place of, of healing. So are you teaching this in the social work department at Baylor? I, I, yes. Um, I mean, I don't have a class specifically on this, Mm -hmm. but, um, but I am finding ways to be able to integrate this. And I feel fortunate that in my role as associate dean for research and faculty development is the other big piece of what I do is I am 
consistently trying to invite our faculty to be doing that work within themselves in recognition that we can't offer transformational education to our students if we're not willing right. to be transformed ourselves. Right. Um, our faculty have to do this work of caring for themselves holistically so that they can be attuned to their students and their needs. Um, and so I, f- I feel like that is the space that I really am trying to do this work with our faculty. Yeah. I think one of the Enneagram pieces that I would suggest fits beautifully with serving, and that is that I, I don't think ones, twos, and sixes can appropriately discern what Mm. is theirs to do in terms of serving without bringing up thinking. Yeah. And fours, fives, and nines can't do that without bringing up doing. Yeah, right. And threes, sevens, and eights without feelings. And I, the longer I live and the more people I talk to and the more work (laughs) I do and the more work we do, the more aware we are here that it all has to do with balance, everything. Right, right. Uh, We're almost to a point where all the Enneagram work that we're talking through and and looking toward Mm -hmm. has to do with balance. Mm -hmm. And we are an unbalanced folks, Mm. people. Yeah, right, right, right. right. Culture, we're just, we live out of balance. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that we, I, I don't know that, um, I mean, I, I do know that there are some folks out there who can really find that balance within mm-hmm. their lives, but I don't know that that is accessible for most of us I don't think it is. at all. Um, and for a lot of different reasons, um, I don't think it is, but, but I feel like this is the lifelong work that we get to do and trying to lean sure. into figuring out and navigating, okay, in this season, which looks very different than what it looked like six months ago right. or a year ago, you know, what is, you know, balance? And I say with big air quotes, mm-hmm. like, what is that looking like right now? Knowing that balance may be something that we think about within just this one day or this week or this month or, you know, this whole semester yep. that we're in or, or whatever, but it's going to look different for each of us. Again, we're invited to try to figure out what that is. So I think yeah. scheduling took the place of, Oof. <laughs> of balance. Uh-huh. <laughs> if, if it fits. Oh, let me see. You know, I, I use a paper calendar. I'm never going to quit. No, I ha- I do too. I'm never going to quit. But it helps me recognize my limitations. It's though. the only way I yeah, can recognize right. mine. Yep. On my phone, <laughs> all I get to is, oh yeah, I'm free that time. Yep, yep, yep. That's a free hour. Yep, nope. That's a free half day. Nope, yep. yep. Uh. <laughs> well, you think about this from your uh, aggressive seven gluttonous perspective. I have my own issues. <laughs> but it's none of these. <laughs> these aren't them. <laughs> We'll get a seven on soon. Yeah, I, I was just sitting here thinking, you're quieter today than usual. Aww. Y'all, you, you found a kindred spirit here. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do have a, I've got a weird question. Okay. And this is going back towards the beginning of the conversation. And I wrote it down and it just never really kind of came back around to it. Mm. Y'all were talking about being twos. And we we're talking about giving, giving, giving. Uh, I heard you allude to it, Suzanne. I've heard you talk about it over the years. Women in Christian churches, yeah. especially in the South, man, the church loves a two, wants a two. Mm-hmm. And when you had said something, I was like, man, and this is probably more from movies than actual experience because I probably wasn't, again, as a seven, I've got my own stuff, paying attention. Mm-hmm. But the eulogies that the that these old women get mm-hmm. at church, are all just heavy on some two praise, you That's know, right. always was there. All, all willing all to stuff. do the things nobody else, nobody else to do. would do all these things. Yeah. And so my weird question yeah. is, okay. From a space of above average to healthy to mm. what would you want your eulogy to be at the church? Because I would think you wouldn't want it to be that, you know, of did everything that, Everybody else didn't want to do. You could count on them to show up on Saturday morning with the stuff, stayed late for the thing, you know, gave her everything here. Yeah. So. What would I want my eulogy to be? Do you want to go first <laughs> on that? Or do you just, okay. And specifically no. from the church. I think there's a different, the eul- yeah, when okay. the church is, yeah. you know, this 
friends who have gathered today, you know, this past week, we, we lost yeah. Holly. Yeah. And yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, that practice of, of recognizing like our finitude, I think is really important and something I do try to lean into. Um, but I haven't thought about what I want my eulogy to be. The first thing that comes to mind, I think it was Ruth Haley Barton who talked about not wanting to have on a, like her gravestone. I think it was her, but saying like that she did too much, basically. I don't think I would want that. I think that I would want my loved ones to be together. I think I would want them to to be able to say with confidence that they were loved by me, which I think twos, I hate to say, but I think sometimes twos, maybe it's because I, like my social instinct can get pretty loud when it comes to work. Um, but my closest loved ones, I really try to be intentional and spend a lot of time with them, but it can be really easy to know that they are there and I trust that they are there. And so sometimes I will orient towards those outside of my family um, a little bit more easily. So I would want my eulogy to really include attention to my closest loved ones feeling deeply loved by me and that I did enough within my life, but that I most enjoyed my life and the gift of my life because it is not promised. Like any of these days that we are given are unpromised. And, um, and so I would want folks to be in recognition of like, she really enjoyed the gift that she was given and appreciated it. There's that appreciation again. Yeah. Don't you dare say appreciation at my <laughs> eulogy. Do you think that there are, that a lot of twos, you know, when they come to the end of their life who haven't been maybe mm-hmm. doing some self-care work and mm-hmm. boundaries that they don't, they don't get to say that. Yeah. I think that, I think there is a risk for twos who are not, um, doing that inner work that, you know, at the end of their lives are like, wow, I did a lot of stuff, but I didn't get to really fully explore my own inner landscape. I didn't get to spend that quiet contemplative time with my higher power, spend that, um, you know, that quiet time with my loved ones. Cause I was out serving everybody all the time and baking cookies for the church. I will say though, I don't know that all twos love to bake cookies. Cause I'm in that, I don't like to bake cookies camp. Um, unless it's for Christmas time with my kids, but that's it. My children think that <laughs> making Christmas with cookies with me was a, an abusive experience. <laughs> oh. It was a labor. Yeah. It, it was not fun. <laughs> so yeah, I, I do. I mean, I think the risk for a lot of twos is that they can run themselves so ragged that they'll get to the end of their lives and just be like, I missed it because I was so focused on everybody else around me. And I would hate for that to be the case for me. We're up against it time-wise, so I'll let you, if you have any other questions. or I find the stages to be hopeful mm. and challenging. And that's a good mix because I don't trust things that are challenging but not hopeful. And I don't trust things that are hopeful but not challenging. Mm-hmm. Right? There you Yes, yes. And I think when we, you know, my Tunis is always in the room, of course, when we're visiting with people for the podcast. And yet I think it takes two twos mm-hmm. for it to be heard as a two thing and not a Suzanne thing, mm. potentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you're a twos too. <laughs> so I think that's really good for our community. Oh. And I appreciate you going through all of the stages at, and you did it very efficiently, oh. which is a gift I don't have. Mm. It isn't that easy. Mm-mm. It's easy to talk about. And it's a real Mm -hmm. challenge to do. And so my closing remarks would be that I I think we have to be very aware that it took us a long time to to set up the habitual behavior that we're living out of. Mm -hmm. And it takes a long time Mm -hmm. to take that apart and put it together in a different way. Mm -hmm. And if you have anything to say to speak to that, then do that and then we'll 
be so glad that we had this time. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, before I comment, I do want to thank you both so much for this opportunity. It really was a gift to be here. Um, I think you're right that the habits that we have formed over the years, especially within our personality structure, those are so well grooved within us that we don't even know when we do them. It is so instinctual. It is so, um, automatic the ways that we respond to these opportunities. Uh, and, and I'm sure for each of the numbers, not just for choose, absolutely each of the numbers. Um, and yeah, I, I think that, the unwinding and getting curious about and being carefully attentive to the why behind some of those habits and behaviors, that takes a lot of work that is really hard to do, period. But also as we're continuing to try to live our lives moving forward, because we're still, you know, we're still moving forward with new opportunities and ways of being and loved ones within our circles and, um, and that unwinding work, it is, it does take quite some time, but it is some of the most, I think, holy and sacred work that we get to do. Um, and it and has it, its own payoff. It really does. Yeah. You and just don't know it from the outside. That's exactly right. You don't know it from the outside and it's not going to happen overnight. Like the, like I write about my centering prayer practice. It wasn't for a year and a half later after I had started that daily centering prayer practice that I was like, oh, I didn't react about the flat That's tire right. in the car, right. right? It was like, okay. Um, but to trust that process, mm-hmm. right? And With to- no- Sweet payoff. Right. That's right. That's right. right. It's not going to be quick, no. but just to keep showing up and to keep doing the work to the best of your ability one day at a time yep. would be what I'd invite us to do. Total agreement. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for coming to spend time with us. And Thank thanks you. for making the drive so we could do it in person. Oh, it's extra pleasure. fun yeah. in person. Yeah, it is. I agree. I agree. Always so much better in person. Yeah. Thank you. It didn't matter how good you are at Zoom. No. Like, it's more fun in person. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I agree. Thanks for having me.